fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to FGGBT. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. We're the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn, with me is the physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Awesome to be here, Dan. I'm so excited because I love talking technology as you know it. And we're going to look in the past, I know, but maybe we'll even be able to predict the future. Who knows? We are that smart. I think so, Denon, and I'm very excited because not only uh, we're talking about the future of this show, this is a technology show. So uh, technology, the future, the past, the present, that's how we know where we're going. And there's one man who always knows where he's going, and that's our enigmatic engineer, Ben Siebser. Ben, where are you broadcasting from this week? Dan, this week I'm in my engineering space contemplating what I will contribute next to our technological future. There's so many different paths I could follow, so... I think perhaps I should take a step back and look at how we got to where we are today. I think that the the limits of what you're going to contribute to society are endless, Ben. Uh, so I have no, I, I'm not Thank worried you. about that at all. Uh, but I think when we're looking at technology, as I mentioned, it's a technology show. We have to look, if we're going to look to where we're going, we have to look to where we are and where we've been. And that, my friends, is what we're going to do today. Uh, because this is going to be a deep dive into the evolution of technology, because technology the history looks more like a root system of a deciduous tree than it does a straight line to the moon. So let's start out with some of our favorite technologies. Ben, I know that you have a specific area, genre of technology that you've studied since you were a wee little tyke. That's true, Dan. You know, I grew up in the age of the personal computer. You know, when I was a, you know, in kindergarten, first grade, we got our first DOS box, you know, where and I got to play the original SimCity and Dino Park Tycoon and the original Theme Park and Reader Rabbit and Number Munchers and all these great games. Uh, and I got to see that evolution throughout all the time to where we are today. You know, back then it was SimCity, then SimCity 2000, now City Skylines and all sorts of fun stuff. You know, really, it's city builders. You know, that's that's what I've <laughs> what I've learned over my right. you know 30 years of computing. You watch the, the growth of the evolution of technology through the growth and evolution of your very own city. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, well, many different cities. But. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> many different simulated cities. What, what was the name of your city? Uh, often I would just name it after the city I was living in at the time, mm -hmm. you know, because I thought it would be cool to just, you know, name it Memphis or Cleveland or whatever, because <laughs> sure. why not? <laughs> right. Build a better city than the one I actually am in. <laughs> well, I would say, I always, See what I, I can improve. I always played the same games. Uh, I loved being, uh, you know, having Danville or, or Glentown. Uh, that's, what <laughs> I, that's what I always did. Uh, no surprises not, not there. Glen Co. Not Glencoe? <laughs> no, that was much later. Much later. Okay. Now, Glencoe did reside inside of Glentown uh, or Glenville. Okay. Um, but, but no. So, uh, but that, I mean, Number Munchers, uh, I just love that name. That's, that's a great name for a video game. It's a good game. That's yeah. how you learn your multiplication tables. It's the only way to learn your multiplication tables. Uh, what about you, Denon? There's got to be an area of, of technology that you've particularly liked. Well, interestingly, Dan, I would argue that the area of technology I like will surprise people because I don't think we often think of it in the area of technology, and that is sports technology. 
I have loved, oh yeah, I have loved the evolution. Partly it's had huge impact on my life. Um, Mm -hmm. I was one of those kids who learned on a wooden tennis racket. um, And, you know, because my parents felt there was no need to buy new stuff, I was the last kid (laughs) with a wooden tennis racket. Um, Oh, that's great. and not to mention it was made of wood. I mean, the technology not only evolved to graphite, which, of course, channels some of my favorite material science and foams. There was also a major breakthrough where they just made the tennis head bigger. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, right. No, that's true. Sometimes technological advances, Dan, are mm-hmm. that simple. <laughs> and I had yeah. my teeny little wooden <laughs> tennis racket for years on end. Um, yeah. So I actually feel I was a much better tennis player than those around me. <laughs> um, yeah. But I did not have that technology edge. But I love comparing how different sports technology evolve differently depending on the needs of the game and the mm-hmm. limits we want to put on it. This explains your excellent hand-eye coordination. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, that, you know, having to learn with the tiny wooden tennis rackets, I, I don't know how you could get any better. <laughs> I give you a definite advantage for sure. Because, you know, when you look at some of these advancements in sports technologies, some of them are are critical, crucial, and 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 I think even have an unfair advantage. You know, I mean, a metal bat in in baseball, the ball the ball just bounces off it faster. And there's also yep. different technologies of metal bats, some which were are just you know eye poppingly powerful uh, <laughs> that you know that uh, that give you such an advantage that that's why they're illegal in the majors. Well, that's what I yeah. love about baseball mm-hmm. is the purity at the professional level of the technology, mm-hmm. right? That mm-hmm. they've really managed to hold on to bats of basically the same thing. And even really baseballs are basically the same. They've just improved in reliability. The sure. interesting thing mm-hmm. about baseball, the funny technological advances in baseball has been the glove. Like if you look mm-hmm. at a glove now, okay. it is massive. Yeah. Right. It used to be, yeah. I don't know, strap a small piece of leather leather across your fingers and get out there and catch the ball. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, hmm. even the mud they rub on the ball to like improve friction and grip, <laughs> that hasn't even changed. It's like from the same bog that's like a secret and they won't tell anyone. It's, it hasn't changed for a century. <laughs> well, and pine tar is still pine tar, right? I mean, right, exactly. Yeah. Right. You know, the methods yeah. of cheating have not really improved. You cork your bat or you stick, you know, <laughs> sticky yeah. stuff on your hat. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, you even put spit on it or, you know, whatever you want to yeah. do. You know, this the old spitball still exists. Uh, I mean, it's so sports technology is it's fascinating. Uh, and it is just one little aspect of things that can just change over time. You know, I mean, look, I, I'm wearing a monocle right now. Uh, that was to look at through one eye. And then eventually there were glasses where you could look through two <laughs> eyes. You don't have to have two monocles because that. That really was difficult to uh, balance on, on your orbital socket. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, the time of the monocle was definitely the same time as horses where people would ride through town to get anywhere they needed to go to travel. You traveled with a horse. Uh, you know, before that, people used their feet, their, their own feet. And then they started using animal feet, uh, namely the horse, as I mentioned. And then the automobile came along and it completely displaced horses as travel. Now, this is probably the most readily apparent technology tree where one thing completely usurps and and displaces another one. Uh, And it is truly fascinating, in my opinion. Well, what Mm -hmm. I really struck me, Dan, is how late in my life I realized that the change from horses to cars not only was a disruption in technology, but an Mm -hmm. entire elimination of an industry. 
Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Particularly in the cities. Right. You you don't need blacksmiths anymore. You don't need um, stables for horses. You don't need the people cleaning up the horses' poop. Right. right. Um, you, you you just <laughs> you design your streets differently because the sewage issues are different. Right. Like mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. everything about the infrastructure around horses now changes and the jobs all change. And so mm-hmm. we just see, oh, horse becomes a car, and it goes so much deeper than that. And that's one of the things yeah. that fascinates me. Yeah, and it's fascinating because it's not just the car, right? You have all sorts of different motorized vehicles that replace. You got the buses, the streetcars, mm-hmm. the subways. All of this contributed to getting animal-drawn uh, vehicles out of our cities and most of our not-so-urban <laughs> areas, too. Well, it's interesting because, you know, there's always been technology is kind of this funny thing where we think of it as constantly improving human life in a way. Right. Like human beings in some ways can be defined by their technology, the way they they manipulate the world around them and improve upon it because we don't have shells for protection like a crab. You know, we don't have claws, you know, for to, to ward off predators like a bear, right? So we have to invent these things and create them. So you would think there would be almost a lack of resistance to technology, but I would say that the resistance to technology changing is almost as inherent to human beings as the need to create the technology in the first place. Case in point, when it comes to, you know, the automobile, here's a quote from 1903, The president of the Michigan Savings Bank advised Henry Ford. Everyone knows who Henry Ford is. He advised (laughs) Henry Ford's lawyer to not invest in Ford Motor Company, saying that the horse is here to stay, but automobiles are only a novelty, a fad. Right. (laughs) People get that wrong. You know, you look at electric cars today. People are saying like, oh, well, if you get stuck someplace, you need that gasoline. Right. I mean, those are the same people who would be, you know, promoting the horse back in 1903. What if you ran out of horse food? It's the same problem. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, yeah, right. Yeah. You know, it's a matter of infrastructure. You know, now, now there's gas stations everywhere. Eventually, there will be charging stations everywhere. Mm-hmm. Just like there back then, there was probably horse feed stalls everywhere. Well, you certainly had yeah. all those water troughs that show up in the Western movies yeah. that you're, right. you're tying your horse to. Um, I, I feel like... You know, the feed is important, Ben, but there's probably more you're more likely to run into grass for your horse than water, I feel like. Right. Well, so. th- that's that's the gas station of the 1800s <laughs> is the is the prairie, <laughs> <laughs> which was everywhere. Uh, but depending on where you were, not necessarily, you know, yeah. you think about these dusty Wild West scenes. Mm-hmm. You yeah. had to go. You had to go out of your way to find something for your horse to eat. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean. I, you know, the question I have to ask then is we're, we're looking at travel here is what is the ideal travel solution, right? Like, you know, is it in the is it in our past? Is it in our future? And I think with the with travel, it's in our future. I think it is, you know, electric cars that are non-polluting, maybe use solar energy, maybe, you know, have some other way to generate maybe a little wind turbine on the back. I don't know. But <laughs> uh, yeah, so, yeah, I think that that may be the future. But I'm curious, what do you you know, I'll start with you, Denon. What do you think are the is the ideal form? of transportation for the future? Or have we already hit it with the, uh, with the, the horse? Well, the ideal <laughs> form is clearly teleportation. I just don't know if it's possible. Um, right. <laughs> so, right, because I'm just really tired of it taking any time at all to get anywhere, and I'm highly impatient. But you actually, Dan, as always, as the analytical mastermind, you pointed to the key challenge, right, which mm-hmm. is that the 
un, unintended consequences of our technology are often the frustrating thing, right? Mm, right. So one of the things people, and we, we do this in a class I teach, one of the things people loved about the car over the horse was it was viewed as a solution to pollution, right? Which mm. I think should be on a T-shirt, Dan. Oh, Cars that's were the solution to pollution. <laughs> now they're, I don't know, you need a funny quote to follow that. Right. Um, <laughs> that's for the development department. Um, yeah. <laughs> because the big problem at the turn of the century was horse pollution. Like yes. That's mm-hmm. what everyone cared about in the city, right? And when you made the cars, cars were clean. They don't poop, right? Yes. Like, like, let's right. be clear, right? Right. Now, uh, to your point, we've realized, oh, if you make enough of them, they make a different type of pollution, you know, yes. and bad in different ways, right? Bad for breathing. We had all the smog in L.A., now bad for the climate. And the next ideal step would be something like the car because we love the speed, the ease, the transport, but without the pollution. Um, it'll be curious to see what side effect we generate at that point. And we will then yeah. continue to evolve our technology. So I think solving the unintended consequences is how mm-hmm. we drive our technology forward. Yeah. And part of that is further mass transit. But also, mm-hmm. you know, electric vehicles solve one of the biggest problems. You know, one, your electricity now can come from a cleaner source mm-hmm. and from a mass produced source, which is almost always more efficient than um, a small engine in your vehicle. Mm-hmm. But also... Um, the regenerative braking of the motors. One of the biggest sources of urban pollution is the dust that comes off of your brakes um, as you're braking because you're literally wearing away your brake shoes and your brake pads. And so if you're using a motor resisting the motion that then recharges your battery, now you're not putting out that brake dust anymore. So that that's another great way that the electric cars can improve the pollution situation in our urban areas. And also what's interesting is that originally cars were not running on gasoline, they were running on alcohol, uh, which is, you know, when the, the temperance movement hit, then all of a sudden alcohol became the bad thing. Alcohol is a much cleaner burning fuel than gasoline. So had the fuel been different early on, you know, uh, I think that that would have been maybe a little bit different for the cars. But to your point, I think we have all the knowledge we need to make uh, an individual, fast, reliable vehicle uh, in the future. You know, and I think electric cars are what it is, as long as we're not using, you know, coal-powered plants to uh, to power the... <laughs> yeah. um, but even a coal-powered a coal power plant is obviously not great. But no. a big, single coal-powered plant is, in a lot of ways, better than a bunch of little gas pa- gasoline engines. Definitely. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's true. I mean, that, that's true for sure. Um, but when you when you look at like gas powered stuff, right? I mean, or let's look mm-hmm. at cutting edge technology. You know, spaceships. We, we're sending probes to the moon, right? This is where we're at the yes. cutting edge part here. We've, we're even getting commercial rockets. You know, the ability to travel in space. You know, maybe this is when it comes to travel. To me, this is the cutting edge part of it. And it, you know, it starts. It's. I mean, we're still using rockets, which are fuel powered devices, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we're polluting. You know, the universe, which is a little different than polluting the earth, right? <laughs> yeah. Even human beings have a long way to go to, to, to pollute the universe. So, you know, this to me is is the where we are now. But where it came from is also very interesting. It is. And I do think, you know, when you mentioned rockets, Dan, and you, the ideal transportation, um, I joked with teleportation. I, I would love to believe that that could eventually happen. I mm-hmm. really don't think so. But one of my favorite things in science fiction is gravity-driven propulsion. And, you know, we have been living in the electronics age so deeply embedded 
Mm-hmm. I think we, we're a little myopic in thinking that's the only force of nature we can harness. Now, there's good reasons. Electricity mm-hmm. is way easier to harness than gravity. It's a stronger force and it has both push and pull. Gravity, as far as we know it, only pulls and it's weak. But I still think at its core, um, smart enough people, maybe a future Ben, um, right. will have that <laughs> What about breakthrough. a current Ben? What about a present Ben? How dare you insult his intelligence? No, like, like 10 years future, Dan. <laughs> 10 years future. <laughs> okay, like, okay, like okay, not okay. in the moment. Right, like, he's got not a his, lot of future left. Dan. Not his progeny. I thought you meant like... <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, right, like right. Ben, a few years in the future. Let's got be clear. It. Okay, 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 fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> right. I so, mean, so future Ben, not a future Ben. Exactly. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. Mm. Fair enough. Um, okay. And I think that, to me, that that'll that'll actually be one of the keys of space travel. It'll mm-hmm. be an interesting source of again, if you can manage to make somehow gravity both the power source and the propulsion. Um, I'm mm. really curious to see what impact that has down the road for transportation. It, hmm. For me, I need to defer, though, to you, the physicist, of how do we manipulate gravity in the first place. Oh, yeah, uh, no, it's a problem. You, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I'll engineer it once you figure out how to okay. uh, how to do it in the first place. <laughs> sounds fair. <laughs> well, I mean, Dennett does have connections to ancient aliens, and I believe that gravity yes. is something that they have harnessed, if I'm understanding it correctly. No, it, it is true. I'm, I'm just not allowed to reveal it yet, Dan, because they might kill me. Um, <laughs> right. I'm working on that contract. <laughs> right. Well, you know, another thing that's interesting about, you know, we're talking about with cars, ground travel, with spaceships, mm-hmm. air travel. But this all started, you know, with the Wright brothers. I mean, we can actually go back mm-hmm. pretty recently as far as, you know, where we've come putting probes on the, you know, on Mars versus, you know, less than 120 years ago, 130 years ago, we had, you know, a couple of brothers just putting something in the air, pedaling, uh, you know, in their backyard, you know, like best friends <laughs> just <laughs> making something in their backyard and, and flying yeah. for 18 feet. Right. That's where it started, which is pretty recent. I mean, before that, it was basically throwing someone into the air as far as you could. Right. I mean, that was where <laughs> air travel came in. Yeah. I, it, it always amazes me. You know, we think about the Wright brothers' first flight as this incredible achievement, which it was. But the entire flight could take place inside of a 747. Like, <laughs> That's, like, funny. It, it, That's funny. You really have to – how far we've come mm-hmm. in such a little amount of time, right? The first flight, you know, wasn't even the length of a modern airplane. Or not even a modern airplane, yeah, right? right? 747s aren't even modern anymore. Yeah. So – it's fascinating to see that we've gone from this like little fabric, handmade, hand-sewn, wing-warping, crazy mm-hmm. technology airplane to where we are today, where you know you got carbon fiber and you know ultra-efficient jet engines, and you know can fly on one engine across like halfway around the world for redundancy and safety. Like airplanes are incredible now. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I agree, Ben, but I'm going to argue against one little part. They're incredible mm-hmm. as a transportation device from the engineering of the airplane. Um, oh, sure. Like, one of the things that is fascinating to me in the technology development, Dan, that we, you know, is in transportation, we haven't really mentioned, is mm-hmm. what I would call the interior comfort evolution. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right? And, and cars... Because of you have to sell them to a person, right? The interior comfort has only evolved. So I was recently going in test drive, and I'm not going to advertise for any cars. Yeah, the, please the, don't. They're not only our the, sponsors. Exactly. Which is no but, one. But yeah. the, the salesperson was trying to argue that the number of speakers w- was going to matter to me. Now, I can't <laughs> yeah. tell the difference between you know two speakers and three speakers. So right. 16 versus 20. 
I don't even know where you're putting them in a car, right? But the <laughs> yeah, fact yeah. that we manufacture. Now, you take your average airplane, though, and it's gone completely the opposite direction. Um, I don't know how many of you have flown recently because of the pandemic, but I have. And I'm sure during the pandemic, they've made seats smaller and closer together, which right. makes the, the latest airplane commercial of the supposed Wright brothers arguing over the armrest in their first plane even yeah. funnier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's interesting. I mean, the most... You know, the most modern airplane seats now, they're even taking away all the recline functionality. They're, they're, they're moving to a fixed half recline, which in some ways is probably better. So everybody gets like half of what they want and nobody gets a seat shoved in their face. But it's also about saving weight. It's about making the airplane better in that regard, because if you don't have the mechanism to recline, your seat can now be smaller and you get, you know, you get another half inch of knee space without, uh, you know, without having to put in the chairs, you know, further apart. <laughs> well, I will tell you, as probably the tallest member of the Brain Trust, my yes. pet peeve is being on an airplane and the person in front of me reclining. Because the yeah, amount of awful. space that, uh, first of all, my knees are against the chair. And, and, and people feel entitled to move it simply because it can move. Now, I'm not going to go down a whole rant here. You guys know that I'm prone to that, <laughs> so I won't. But I will just say that I am 100% on board with half recline. I'm willing to go halfway to get half less discomfort. That's it. Right? Yes, yeah. I, I think you said that right. Okay, all right. But, well, but it, but and is, the seat will be thinner, so you have room for your knees. Okay, all right. <laughs> I like that. Uh, so, I mean, you know, the other thing that's on an airplane, right? I was just talking to, uh, on my episode, on my show, Fascinating Nouns, talking to a guy about newspapers, right? And he was reading a newspaper on an airplane, which I thought was very odd. But this made me think that this is another form of technology, uh, you know, to your point, then, and a technology that's that's kind of been displaced. And, and communication is, is a large category. Newspapers fall right into that because as of right now, we want instantaneous information. We're in the information age. We've we've established that, you know, and that in involves instantaneous news when we want it immediately in our hands. And this is completely, uh, you know, displaced newspapers because you're basically getting yesterday's news today, uh, which isn't going to happen. You know, this isn't in, in today's world. But this leads me to, to, to begs the question here. With communication, I think you guys are going to have a different answer than with travel, but what is the ideal version of communication? Are we at our ideal uh, with communication, or did we achieve it someplace in the past, or does it lie in the future? Uh, ben, I'm going to ask you this question. Yeah, it, it, it's complicated. I, I think, you know, when I think about the evolution of communication, which I've also in many ways lived through, you know, we were kind of static with newspapers for like, 50, 60, 70 year, or maybe even longer, up until Probably like 300, you know, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, printing presses improve things. And yeah, but anyway, anyway sorry. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, and the distribution that the cars got us uh, got Fair papers enough. out quicker. Yeah. But, you know, growing up, we had newspapers in our house, mm -hmm. and I would read the comics, very important. Of course. Uh, <laughs> and, now, of course, no one I know gets newspapers. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's, um, not, that's not true, That's ben, not true. you well, know me. Almost no one I know. <laughs> yeah. There's one third of the brain trust receives a paper yeah. newspaper delivered. But I, but I think it's interesting now because we have this almost information overload mm -hmm. now. You know, you have, you can read any newspaper you want online. You can read a gazillion tweets and Facebook posts and Reddit posts and all this stuff, you know, we're we're bombarded with information now. And I kind of do like thinking back to, you know, 10, 15 years ago when, 
you know, things were more curated. You didn't have, mm-hmm. you know, you weren't overloaded by information like you are today. Mm-hmm. I think that's true. I would argue, Dan, that in, in, in a weird way, I think for humans, because I, I think very evolutionary, mm-hmm. right? I think the fundamental paper and pen, paper and pencil communication techniques, which we all know mm-hmm. is going to be key to my winning the Hunger Games. <laughs> right, right, yeah, right. I remember. <laughs> I, I think as matched to humans, mm-hmm. it's the ideal communication form still. Okay. I think in an abstract sense, um, as a personal communication device, the modern cell phone really would be the ideal as we hmm. evolve to adapt to it. I, I would argue communication has been optimized beyond our ability to use it. And I think that agrees a little bit with what Ben says on processing time, right? Mm -hmm. And it also has to do with sort of curation and stability, right? There was something about, um, there's something about paper record systems that are more stable and curated in some ways because you don't generate more than you can handle, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. right? And so we have more information than ever before stored somewhere. Um, but first of all, it can all be lost if the technology changes and you can no longer read it. So we have a upkeep problem um, as things change. Because look at all those floppy disks that are sitting around useless now. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. Right. I have, I have so a bag I, of them I, that I can't even access. Yeah. So I think I think it's an adaptation to the technology, Dan. Okay. So neither one of you gave me a time period. So I'm going to answer oh, my I, own oh, question. Oh, oh, I thought you wanted a technology, not a time no, period, No, a time Dan. period in our timeline of, of technology. I did Where not understand I your question. 10 to 15 years ago. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Now, Denon, as usual, pontificates and then forgets the question, but I will answer it, Denon. I think that I'm with you, Ben. I think maybe a little bit, maybe 30 years ago, I'd say at the onset of of computers, maybe, where things are starting to be, you're starting to connect the world so that we're not isolated as human beings. But this is before we're bombarded with with clickbaity type of misinformation that is where you now as a human being have to decipher what is news and what isn't. So Mm -hmm. I I like... Like a digital form of a newspaper, but I like the journalistic integrity of the newspaper, and I think that that was probably at its height, maybe like the turn of the century. I like saying turn you know, of the century. As a marker, Dan. Yeah. I would argue before I started getting all the Viagra spams in my email. <laughs> <laughs> and any year before that, we were probably in an okay communication world. So your pre-Viagra yeah. spam is like where were you? I'm more yeah. in the AOL yeah. world. You're in the pre-Viagra spam. Yeah. I mean, it kind of just sounds like, Dan, you're, you're longing for the pre-social media world. Yeah, in some ways. I, I think we all can kind of agree on. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, it's interesting. So, you know, th- there's this, uh, this great Pulitzer, pl- pr- Pulitzer Prize winner and unfortunately named Alex Jones, wrote a book about news, and he mentioned that there are three transitions in communication. And I think this is important to what we're talking about here. First, before 3000 BC, all communication was verbal, right? What's verbal? Uh, And then he had had to, you have to remember what people said. And this is, you know, this is before people started writing stuff down. Now, I did an episode on Fascinating Nouns with the uh, Paranormal Rangers on the Navajo Nation. And the indigenous people, right, they weren't writing things down. And I remember him telling me that the stories were very important because the way you told them, the words you use in the right order were extraordinarily important because they were passing information down generation to generation. So you had to be Mm -hmm. very specific. And that's a whole different part of your brain that we don't use anymore, right? Now, after that, people started writing things down and it could be transported. 
That's a, a you know a, a version of storage which we're going to get to later on. Now this all changed with the Gutenberg press in 1440, where now you could have mass communication. So that was the second right. big evolution, where you could now communicate on a mass level, the, you know, to even to the peasants. Then in 1990, right around this is right around the ideal communication world in my mind, uh, the World Wide Web <laughs> is invented. And now you can communicate instantly over large, large distances. I just keep getting surprised. My monocle just keeps popping right out of my eyes here. But you can communicate instantly across the world. And this began the digital revolution. And I think that this is where we are now. Um, but I think, you know, communication, you know, we had mail. We, now we have text messaging. You know, even, even individual communication has changed, which, which I think is a really interesting thing to think about. Well, Dan, I'm going to point out, you know, you asked me, I, I misunderstood the question. I thought no. you were asking what the ideal technology was, not the ideal time frame. Sorry. Um, but, but I really should have gone, since, since I thought the question was the ideal communication technology, the obvious ideal is the fascinating Gadget Gizmo's gear-based technology mug. Right. Because it has a couple things. Yeah. It combines the stability of the stone cuneiform tablets being <laughs> yes, basically yes. ceramic yes. with <laughs> the advantage of printed letters. You don't have to chisel right? so it So you're in. combining yeah. all of the best technologies and you buy it on the internet. Yeah. So what better combination <laughs> it is. It takes all three technological revolutions, Dan, puts them together in the ideal communication device. Wow, that is a heck of a sales you, pitch. That's, that's pretty good. You know, Dr. Denon, I think you're forgetting one of the truly classic forms of communication, which is the message in a bottle. Uh, you know, you have this lovely uh, metal, fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technology water bottle. Mm -hmm. um, and unlike the classic wine bottle with a cork thrown into the ocean, mm -hmm. This isn't going to get br broken on the rocks. Yep. This this can make it all the way across the ocean safe and sound mm -hmm. and get your message to some random uh, beachgoer uh, in some with a fun little surprise <laughs> on the other side of the country, world. I, is, I totally like that. That is quite an evolution. And I and I think it goes really well with the telegraph, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sure they mm. use message in a bottle before they could get the Atlantic telegraph line down. Right. That is the natural <laughs> evolution. Now, I personally like to. Uh, to communicate via T-shirt. Now, this is one of my T-shirts that's specific on the Gadgets and Gizmos website, which is the Emoji Brain Trust. You can see the three of us <laughs> at the top uh, and Brain Trust at the bottom, which, of course, you can get at ftriplegbt.com or forward slash merch. I apologize. Forward slash merch, uh, which is an, a, an invention from the World Wide Web, which began in around 1990. Uh, but you mentioned, you know, Denon, you mentioned the the telegraph, uh, the telegram. I'm of an age where I remember the last telegram service that went out. I think it was in you know the, the 2000s where Western Union stopped offering the telegram. And I was... Despite the fact that I'd never sent a telegram, a telegram singing or otherwise, uh, I was very disappointed uh, and saddened by that news. So as someone I imagine who sold, sent lots of telegrams, you must have been very, I don't know how you communicated after that. No, it was tough. I was actually more saddened by the ending of the Pony Express, Dan, yeah. because, you know, I'm a big letter writer. Yeah. And, and you know how much I love the 1800s. Sure. Um, but, I, you know, and, and you mentioned that. And it, it's funny to see the things we're nostalgic about. I mean, mm -hmm. I remember very clearly going to college and being told by my dad um, I could only call like once a week because it was too expensive. And so I wrote letters and how impressive mm -hmm. it is, how cheap the post office has stayed. Right. I mean, I mm -hmm. know the post office gets all this, you know, bad press from people, but it's amazing 
that technology, right, mm -hmm. that you can send a letter and the amount of information you can send and how cheaply. And it's only recently to think about it that the Internet caught up, right? Like yep. phone calls were expensive. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then on the flip side, so like I'm nostalgic for the writing of letters and, and then it switched to calls. I remember standing with my daughter one day um, not too long ago, and we were at GameStop, and she was on her phone quickly checking something to see if this was going to be the cheapest price. And she turns to me and goes, Dad, you know, do you remember when you had to go all the way home to check prices on the Internet? You couldn't do it on your phone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm like, no, I remember going all the way home to look it up in the newspaper, Dan. <laughs> I remember I used to look at comic book prices when I'd go to the comic book store and I'd have to go to the Overstreet Price Guide and I'd have to you know, check it out from the library. Forget like going exactly. home. <laughs> I wait till the library opened. You know, I mean, yeah, this is where we this is where we are. I mean, to bring it back to the newspapers, I remember getting, you know, the glossy, you know, catalogs from the electronic stores, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, during the holiday times and being, you know, looking at the video games in there and seeing what was on discount and comparing, <laughs> you know, one big box retailer to another for, you know, the best price on Mario Kart. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so there is a I, communication is fascinating that way. Right. There's mm. the ease. There's the stability. There's so many competing factors in communication, Dan, yeah. that I find its evolution fascinating. And how what stays around, yeah. right? So you know, like, unlike some other technologies, um, a lot of this stuff, I mean, we're going to be with paper and pen for, I think, a very long time mm -hmm. because of its simplicity. Um, and that reminds me of my other favorite story, you know, when we, in the space race, and, and Ben may confirm if this is true or apocryphal, hmm. right? The U.S., um, um, engineers spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to make a ballpoint pen that worked in zero mm. G. Yeah, because you know you need gravity for that. The um, the Soviet um, engineers went with a pencil. Yeah, I, I was going to say yeah. <laughs> pencil. It's gravity Very proof. apocryphal and, and also not true, but but, but it's, it's a, a fun great story. story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you, well, you can you can use a pencil as long as it's not a graphite pencil in space. Okay. Um, Wait, really? Because a graphite pencil, the the pieces, the little bits that break off float around and graphite is conductive so it'll eventually float into your electronics and cause a problem that's insane so you can't use graphite pencils in space you can use grease pencils ah. but not graphite that i did not know that See, I, i'm sure the russians tell that story too that that's yeah, <laughs> yeah. sure and nasa didn't deliver d develop the space pens fisher did it on their own as a marketing ploy but interesting <laughs> But they do work, and they're fantastic. <laughs> standing on your head too. Uh, well, you know, and I think yeah. a lot of this stuff, it, a lot of this stuff feels generational, right? So, for example, in communication, you know, you have the generation that grew up listening to the radio, right? And so mm -hmm. the radio still right. exists, but it's changed. And then in the fifties, late forties, early fifties, it got usurped by television. And then there's a whole group of people who grew up on television. And then, you know, now you've got people who've grown up on the internet. You've got, you know, th there's broadcast networks that are being replaced by streaming networks, which you can only get through the internet. And I think as, you know, the older generations die off, like my grandmother's 97, right? Like her view of communication is totally different. She doesn't watch a lot of TV, but she does a little bit, definitely doesn't use the internet, listens to the radio. But as her generation dies off, I don't know that radio is going to die off, but people who use it 
as their preferred form, that's all going to go away. And people will forget that podcasts are just, you know, Internet radio, basically. That's where you had, you know, dramas <laughs> mm-hmm. didn't, they existed, you know, when you had Raggedy Ann or, or Little Orphan Annie and, right. you know, uh, the the cowboy guys. I can't think of it. The Lone Ranger, you know, that, right. Lone that, Ranger. that yeah. exists in podcast right. well, form now. And, and wasn't that where the shadow started? Only shadow? the shadow knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it all exists. Yeah. But this generation knows them as podcasts. Well, I do wonder, Dan, like, so the evolution of communication and entertainment, if we switch to the entertainment side sure. now, is kind of interesting. Yeah. Because... You know, on the on the on the front of live versus non-live entertainment, it's always fascinated me to you know sort of move from let, let's just take performances, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you mm-hmm. move. At, we'll we'll take one scale first, from live plays to movie to radio to TV to movie, right? Right. Um, live plays still exist. They're very popular, but they've become kind of expensive and elite, and they're rarer. Um, yeah, only TV, in New York, basically. And I mean, only and only in New York and L.A. A little bit, you know, a little bit in L.A. There's theater in L.A. <laughs> sure, right? Um, to your point, though, like TV has survived, but is definitely changing to streaming, mm-hmm. right? They, it survived the movies. Well, no, I'm sorry, movies survived TV. I did it backwards. Yes, right. Yeah, because movies came first. Mm-hmm. Um, movies are struggling a little bit with streaming, but they're hanging on. Yeah, but I had never realized you said something that just triggered it. I wonder if radio as a storytelling device is going to survive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the the modern sort of generations, because it's pretty much, I don't know, my generation and down, I think, just thinks of radio as the place to listen to music or maybe um, talk radio, but not certainly storytelling. And if you're going to go to stories, you go to a podcast. Yeah. Well, definitely yeah. not in sports. Yeah. I would say sports, yeah. talk oh, radio. Sports. Yeah, because I listen to football games when I'm traveling. Yeah. Yeah. And news. And news, yeah. But I, I mean I mean, but that goes to radio is a streaming medium. Mm-hmm. So it's best for instant things, live things, yeah. things that are happening right now. Yeah. Um, a story, you know, when you're driving, you don't want to hear, you know, fifteen minutes of a story that's <laughs> broadcast yeah, yeah. at any random time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. You know, it's the same reason that streaming has overtaken um a lot of these shows. Um, you know, it, it's hard to do narrative shows live anymore no one watches you know you you need to time shift you need to be able to watch a cohesive story on your own time when you can rather than you know when the network wants to broadcast it to you well that goes to a generational thing right because i i am still very used to arranging my life around when the show is going to broadcast yeah because that's what i had to do for most of my life like it you know ben talk about you know looking in things i mean Planning my Saturday morning was mm-hmm. like a Absolutely. heroic effort. This is yeah. why I'm very good at scheduling and calendars, right? Because you would sit there with the TV <laughs> guys, yeah. right? And you'd have to mm-hmm. map out, you know, switching between channels, you know, timing it right. Yep. You have to plan in bathroom breaks. Like, yep. you know, it was, <laughs> Serious it business. was you know, a, a four to five hour, you know, work of art. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, that was only a problem for someone who had more than uh, had cable. You know, I growing up myself, I only had the... Uh, the broadcast, so it was only you know Fox Kids was my only choice. No, three channels: ABC, NBC, CBS. They competed Saturday morning in my generation with some awesome oh, shows. Mm-hmm. So it was a challenge, Ben. Oh, uh, I guess for me as a kid, by then it was the other channels were all 
sports or news or something in the morning. There's only one channel with cartoons on it. Yeah. Well, that makes life easy. Well, and I was in the middle with you guys because I had extra. Um, you know, uh, Fox was was around, so there were four networks. But you know, I had Nickelodeon as well, which is a cable show. But um, there were maybe mm-hmm. one or two of those. But Saturday morning cartoons were definitely a thing for me before you had yeah. Fox Kids and you know Disney Channel and yeah. and, and all this stuff. Uh, so, but it's again, it's a generational thing, which which is what's so interesting. But you know, Denna, when you talk about the history of entertainment, th- this is kind of if you go all the way back. Right. Let's go all the way back before you were even born, Dennis. Let's go just way back. You had the original entertainer was a guy sitting around a campfire telling the story of the, you know, the mammoth he hunted or, or whatever. Well, no. And I love that. And when you think about that trend, Dan. Mm -hmm. So I am a big believer, as much as I'm a physicist, I actually love like history and humanities and stuff. I'm kind of a, you know, that's a hobby. And as humans, you know, we said the theme of this is the technology we build. Yeah. But the other big thing that distinguishes us is we're storytellers. Yeah. Um, For better or for worse, we make up stories. Sometimes they're called lies, but basically we make up stories. (laughs) We like to tell stories. (laughs) Right. And you're right. It started with the single person. And listen to them, too, as well. I don't mean to pause you, but listen to them and because most people are listening, not yes. everyone's telling. Mo- exactly, most people are receiving the story, um, and then and then you evolved into troops or groups, and they would do plays, mm-hmm. and then even plays evolved. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's amazing breakthrough when the Greeks figured out how to build an amphitheater with sound where you could hear, right, and you could actually mm-hmm. have a large crowd listen to a play, right. And then this continues to evolve, and then you get, as we've discussed, movies, TV, radio, all that, and. This is what fascinates me. You then get live streaming. We've mentioned podcasts. Mm-hmm. But if you Quick think about it. Quick fast forward there, by the way. The but av- this is from the Greeks to streaming. <laughs> we get the other stuff in the middle. We already talked about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I don't want to belabor the point. <laughs> yeah, sure. But the modern YouTuber mm-hmm. is back so often to the single person in front of mm-hmm. a campfire telling their story. Yes. And if you think about it, mm-hmm. numerically it works out. The average YouTuber is talking to, you know, 10 to 30 people. <laughs> that was your tribe around the, the campfire, yeah. right? Yeah. They're just spatially um, way more distant. Um, you yeah. know, and there is the occasional YouTuber who's like, you know, got multiple tribes have come together. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and their audience has grown. Um, but it shows to me the, the, sort of the time scale in which humans have biological evolution mm-hmm. is always slower than technological evolution. Yes. And I mm-hmm. think the reason we're so happy with YouTubers or some people are mm-hmm. is <laughs> our, our brains and response are still in the campfire speaker stage of biological evolution. Interesting. Yeah. I, th- that's such a great point. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we really haven't evolved past the ability to keep track of that many people. You know, <laughs> it's the same thing with social media. Mm-hmm. You know, most people, you know, you can have thousands of friends on social media, but most people only have like 100 or so or 200, which is the size of a, you know, a village <laughs> back yeah. in the day. Yeah. You know, there's something innately human about knowing, a f- you know, 100 or so people. That's that's what our brain can kind of keep track of. Yeah, and I think, it, I mean, this is really, what I love about the, when you use entertainment is so many things kind of go back to the way they were, right? People think that these technologies are new, but they're just reinventions of an old technology. Podcasting isn't new. It's radio that's on demand. You know, streaming yeah. isn't new. It's just TV. You don't have to, like, set your life around. <laughs> you know, I mean, I hated that. <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't stand it. Oh, and waiting a week, waiting a week to hear a story. <laughs> what did I do before? Well, hold on. 
what did I do before binging? You know, I mean, I hated watching TV, right? I mean, who wants to watch a, a show over the course of eight months? I want it all right now. Well, so our family are big fans of a show, um, The Owl House, which now is we have a glitch in our system, which if we record it, we lose like the last minute. So we're trying what? hard to watch it live. Mm. Yeah, no, don't, don't, don't get me started on technology, Dan. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I have to. So we, we're, we're in the middle of technology. <laughs> I know. So we were watching it live, uh-huh. and my daughter just turns to us at one point and goes, ah, commercials. Remember those? Because <laughs> we were getting commercials because it was uh, on Disney Channel. Yeah. But her follow-up was, hey, when I was young, Disney Channel didn't have commercials. And it didn't. Like, that was a weird evolution hmm. that hmm. Disney Channel has actually added commercials because of the way that part of cable and network has evolved, because streaming has evolved. Right. It's really fascinating to see. Yeah, well, it's interesting because mm. you're talking about recording, right? And so even when you record entertainment, you're putting it on a hard drive now, right? I mean, the the TiVo yeah. was such a, a big, ev- I, mean, I remember when it came out, like this was such a big evolution where you could have a hard drive that's recording video, right? And it's playing it back in this little mini computer. And I think at this, you know, one of, as you mentioned early on, Ben, your favorite genre is computers. And I think computers mm-hmm. and data storage as, as technology yeah. We think of it as being very modern, you know, um, because it's really computers are augmenting our brain processes in the same way that like uh, a cotton gin is, um, you know, enhancing <laughs> our ability to, to, to pick things off the ground. Right. Uh, and the Another technology set. we could have discussed. We Dan. could have. Yeah. <laughs> mechanical technology. But this is a way to augment our yeah. brains. And storage is the way to keep memory right and so yeah. you know uh ai is some in some ways the pinnacle of that right now you know i'm i may or may not argue in the future that this is going to destroy humanity <laughs> and that's where we are right now but this didn't start there it started with you know computing counting counting your fingers and then your toes you know some most people had mm-hmm. 20 some people had you know, 24, a couple extra here or there, maybe a few less, depending <laughs> yeah. on how their last hunt went. But this is where it started, and computers are where it ended, which is also very fascinating to me. It really makes you think if we'd had eight eight digits per hand, you know, would we have a base 16? Would that be our default? <laughs> Interesting. And we'd be able to understand computers a lot better because the numbering system in the computer would match what <laughs> uh, what's easy for a person to think about. Do you think do you think it would be it makes sense to, you know, uh, cut off uh, the thumb when people are born and then we can maybe evolve society that way? If you were dictator, would you do that, Ben? Well, I, I think I take the pinky because the thumb's really important okay. being opposable <laughs> Fair enough. for using tools. Fair enough. But yeah, if we but yeah. if we got rid of the pinkies, <laughs> but yes. then we'd have base eight, which is decent uh. for understanding binary and hexadecimal. But you know, base eight being you know three bits is it's it's kind of weird. It doesn't work well with what we're doing anymore. Sure. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> well, you know, so in principle, you got to cut off pinkies and pinky toes and and use your hands and feet. Mm-hmm. Um, mm, yeah, that's but you, you know. know and I, I remember and invent a new digit system, right? We need to invent yeah. some new little squiggly lines because you don't want to use letters. Like you got that's just too confusing, Ben. Yeah. We got to get rid of the letters, um, and and just invent new squiggles. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the reality is, if you know, if we if we were base sixteen, we we wouldn't have to overlap like mm-hmm. that, which is 
also fascinating to think about. Well, yeah. And those are digital computers. Because, but before that, there were mechanical computers on punch cards, yeah. which is also yeah. bizarre to think about. You know, you got vacuum tubes, which somehow equate to computing. I'm not 100% sure how, uh, but I watch it in a lot of steampunk shows, specifically Doc Brown <laughs> in a Time Machine. Uh, but, but this yeah. is, you know, computers are very odd. And, you know, Ben, you've mentioned this before, but faxes and modems are also very strange, which ties us back to our yeah. communication. You know, this is where computer evolution, the ability to compute things, has helped us greatly as a species. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the punch cards. Um, you know, th those were the first one of the first digital things. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, we it's it's a piece of paper with literal literally holes in it that define instructions, numbers, commands. And it was in binary. It was just like what, you know, how our computers work mm -hmm. today. But using a piece of cardboard to represent that information rather than magnetic. You know, the Apollo computers were sewn metal rings with copper wire. You mm -hmm. know, that's how they stored bits. It was literal charging magnets with wire and you could see mm -hmm. it. It was a physical thing that you could look at. You know, you, you might want a magnifying glass, but you could still see it. Um, Whereas today, it's basically the same thing, at least with the spinning hard drive. Mm -hmm. It's little magnetic bits, you know, on a platter, mm -hmm. but it's just so small now. It's microscopic. You know, it, it's, right. it's just incredible how we've gone from memory you can actually see mm -hmm. to, you know, microscopic crazy things that are, you know, are don't look like anything anymore. <laughs> you know, and when you talk about that, Ben... I think one of the things that fascinates me is the trade-off. I mean, we talked about this right at the beginning, Dan, the trade-off mm -hmm. of cars and horses and what the pollution right. is, right? With, with storage, I've always been fascinated by the clay tablet to the piece of paper to the magnetic storage mm -hmm. to what we're doing now in various optical and spin-type storage. Mm -hmm. you, you, you tend to have a trade-off between long-term stability mm -hmm. mm ease of carriage and amount of data you can get, right? You get yeah. more and more data as the data storage is involved. Um, you get sort of ease of putting the data there and carrying it around or transferring it, but it gets less and less stable, yeah. right? And you're, so this is a weird place where the technology tree has a very, very clear trade-off. Right. Um, and that in the new world, we're really trying to go for stability because we have so much and we have to make up for what we've lost in that. Yeah, there, there's a reason they still do back like long-term backups with magnetic tape because it's a it's a much more stable form than um, magnetic platters or uh, you know flash devices like we have now. You know, most flash devices, if you leave them off for a couple of years, they're not going to work anymore. When you plug them back in, you're going to lose everything on them. You know, there's this thing concept called bit rot where these things that expect to be on all the time, if you if they're not, they're not going to work again. That's a great album title, Bit Rot. By the, it's uh, <laughs> a good one. Uh, but I mean, this all uh, this all started with the brain, right? I mean, we're basically mimicking mm -hmm. the brain, and I think you know, Denon. I think the brain has trade offs as well. You can have short term memory, so you can memorize something really quickly and and access it really quickly, but it doesn't get stored long term, so you can't access that same you know stuff in in a year or or a month or maybe even a week. Or you have something you can commit to long term memory that sometimes takes you a little bit. When you see on quiz shows, people get asked a question that's somewhere. In in their filing system and they can't quite 
pull it up right away. You know, I, I fall mm-hmm. into that category a lot. <laughs> Something's in there and those dusty files in the back of my head that I can't quite have access to. But so I think that that trade-off, maybe it's inherent to storage itself. Um, uh, but, may, you know, maybe it's somehow, you know, tied into the brain. And I also want to mention it was stone tablets and cave paintings as well. That's a way to store information and to store yeah. stories. Uh, arguably one of my favorite ways to store it as well. But I don't know. what do you, And yeah. the cave paintings are the least mobile, Dan. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. <laughs> arguably, yeah, the least mobile, uh, I, I would yeah. say. And it's funny that we now make them mobile by taking pictures of them and putting them on the internet. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, you literally have to move mountains to move a cave painting. I, 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 I yeah. think. Uh, yeah, but I, you know, I think books are probably the, the happy medium there uh, because those will, in some ways, last way longer. Especially with this concept of bit rot, they'll probably last longer than than mm-hmm. most memory. Uh, but you know, I, I want to say I think this is quite. I love talking technology with you guys, uh, and I think the evolution of technology is important to discuss not only, you know, where we're going, uh, but where we've been helps guide that path because where we are, you know, uh, is needs to be analyzed to see where we should be going in the future. I think uh, I wanted that to sound brilliant, but I don't think that it necessarily did. It did. did. It did, Dan. I loved it. It, it sounded brilliant. It's, it's almost T-shirt worthy. It's almost. A little, wor- a little more workshopping yeah. and you'll have it on a T-shirt. I will, I will workshop something. Um, but, you know, I think we can probably buy it. Do we want to do errors, additions, and omissions? Do we miss stuff here or do we want to go? I have one quick yeah, little right. error, addition, omission Please. comment. Okay. Very quick. Right. Um, I love the fact that right now we're all wringing our hands over chat GPT. Yeah. Um, and Socrates really felt we shouldn't be teaching people to read because then they wouldn't be able to remember things and use their brain. So Socrates <laughs> was against books, um, famously. Yeah. And, and, you know, so th- to your earlier point, Dan, I just want to remind our listeners, there's always somebody against technology, but the new tools, we are humans. You cannot stop us from making new tools. Beavers stop with dams. Humans keep going. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. it's true. And, I, I, you know, Socrates was a pretty bright guy. And he may have been scared of books. I'm scared of AI. We'll get to that <laughs> at a later a later conversation. So anything that we missed that you want to tell us about, uh, you know, you can always get in touch with the show on social media, uh, despite the fact that Ben and I both despise it from a technological standpoint. Uh, but but despite that, please use it. Please get in touch with us. Uh, and that is uh, we're on Twitter at FGGBTPod, Facebook at FGGBT. But don't send us any letters. We're going to keep it all digital, and that is questions at fgbt.com. Let's use email, uh, but of course, you can get in touch with us individually. Denon, where can people find you? Well, they can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Denon Michael. You just flip my name, um, and then you'll find me on that old technology that has evolved, Facebook, mm-hmm. by sticking in a prof, at Prof Denon Michael. Ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? Spell that B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at The Daniel J. Glenn, and on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. And unless you're using your favorite podcast platform, you cannot actually find us on the radio yet. But, but no. if you are using it, please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. If you enjoyed this video, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And finally, this show contains powerful information that could be misused by those hell-bent on world domination. Remember, you take our inf- take this information and do good with it when given the choice. Always choose superhero, never choose supervillain. So until next time, 
Thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, ftriplegbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there ftriplegbt.com. And before you leave, don't forget to check out our other episodes. You can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got, and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version, depending on what you like. We got it for you, and if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.